Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Parson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Welcome to our uh, Ask the Politics Guys uh, midweek uh, uh, podcast, mini podcast, and uh, we still have Dominique with us uh, because we record these all on on Sunday, even though it's released on Wednesday. Uh, and I. I do want to punch. I, I had promised a listener uh, that we would respond to my view on uh, trickle down economics and sort of a, a defense thereof. Um, but we're not going to be able to get to that this week, but we'll have that on next week. So the uh, ask the politics question we do have this week, Dominique. Yes. So Julia from Hamburg, Germany. Julia, thanks for listening and sending in this question. This is a great question. Guten Tag, Julia. <laughs> so. She wrote, on a German radio program, I listened to a political science, a so-called American expert, Joseph Brommel. Brommel. He talked about his about this mudfest of a presidential election where respect for political opponents and basic decency are thrown overboard. He said that this shows that there is an erosion of the political system taking place in the U.S. It was not just a blip but a process that was over 15 years in the making. According to democracy indicators like the Economist's Democracy Index, the U.S. was on the border of becoming a, quote, flawed democracy. Your democracy was coming apart, according to this expert. This really stunned me. He was talking about gridlock in Congress, I think, but maybe you have a better explanation. And why is nobody really talking about this? Are people simply resigned to gridlock? And what political steps could be taken to incentivize compromise in Congress? Well, that's all right. Yeah, that's a lot to dig into. Uh, so first of all, well, you know, go ahead. No, you fire away. I was going to say, in terms of an erosion of our political system, I don't think that there's an actual erosion of our political system going on. I think what we're seeing is, um, you know, some I think we're seeing some some growing, some stretching, some growing pains. I think we're hearing from um, from parts of our electorate who we haven't heard from before, who are raising uh, issues that have been overlooked for quite a while. Um, but I don't think that our our political system is um, falling apart. Um, and, you know, in terms of becoming a flawed democracy, I mean, you know, there are there are 54 flawed democracies uh, in the world and 28 full democracies, and we're still one of the full democracies. So hopefully we'll hold on to that status. Well, they, they list they list us the economy. The Economist uh, um, uh, Democracy Index lists us behind Uruguay, um, which no offense to you guys in Uruguay. If we have, we, I think we probably have some Uruguay in it, uh, listeners, but. Um, but it, we are ahead weird. of France. We're we're ahead of France, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I think in terms uh, of being a flawed, <laughs> a flawed democracy, you know, 
I think it's almost fair to put us in that category in some way because we are having such gridlock. And, and one of the ways that a, a full democracy becomes a flawed democracy is that um, there are issues in terms of uh, low levels of participation in politics and a lack of functioning in governments in governance. And I think we have always kind of held our government uh, system on high, but we are seeing this lack of functionality in the Senate and, uh, the houses really aren't, or the, the, you know, the different branches not working together the way that it was intended. And so, um, you know, we need to make changes. Um, how do we make changes? I mean, Jay, maybe you have some ideas on that. Well, uh, you know, first I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a little bit of an issue, not a little bit, maybe a lot of an issue, uh, with the whether we're working as intended. Um, you know, to me, I think gridlock is not necessarily a a uh, bug in the system; it's a feature. Uh, this is something that uh, the founders built in. They wanted change to be difficult, and they wanted it to be uh, hard uh, for for lots of lots of reasons. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm reading right now, uh, Lawrence Tribe's book, uh, The Invisible Constitution, um, which, uh, Tribe is, is sort of one of the leading constitutional scholars, uh, uh, very admittedly a liberal, uh, uh, but he, he, he sort of hits on that, that there, there's, there are parts of the constitution that, um, it's, it's not, uh, something that is spelled out, uh, explicitly in a, a, an amendment or in a, an article, but structurally the constitution sort of says something. And, and I think this kind of goes to that is, uh, the United States wasn't designed to, to move quickly. Uh, we, we have this, this long and difficult process and, and the fact that it, it doesn't always resolve problems as quickly as, as, uh, some would like, I think is, is probably a good thing. Um, uh, I once uh, served with a, a state legislator who was criticized by an opponent uh, because over the last the last term he had only um, co-sponsored and, and had enacted into law two bills, and uh, his response was uh, uh, sponsor bills. He's like I'm I'm playing defense, um, and I think there's there's something to that. Um, you know, in any any given session of Congress or state legislature, there are hundreds. It's in hundreds uh, of, of bills introduced. Not all of them are going to be good ideas. Uh, not all of them are going to address big issues. So I think looking at the metric of his gridlock necessarily a, an indication that you have a um, uh, dysfunctional uh, democracy, I would say not necessarily. Um, I would say no. not necessarily. I think that that's fair. However, I think that we have a House and Senate who have um, – who have said, you know, we are not going to work with President Obama. It, it, it isn't the specific or individual things coming out. It's it's a total lack of interest in working with the other party. And, and I do not believe yeah. that that was any intention in, in on the parts of the. And I would parties. I would agree with you there. I mean, the the founders were very much aware and and um, uh, afraid of you know what they called faction. Um, uh, that, that there would be the rise of sort of political parties. And, and most of the disputes weren't necessarily partisan back then. We were talking about regional sort of things. Um, but, you know, I think I think you're you're right to the extent that we have a, a much more acrimonious um, uh, partisan relationship. And 
you know, looking back historically, uh, the reasons for that, uh, my view, part of it is, uh, well, a couple of things. Uh, there have been changes in economics, changes in demographics. Um, we are, are moving, uh, um, or at least there's evidence to say that we're moving towards towards a different sort of social class structure. Um, I'm also a big proponent of, of uh, Charles Murray's uh, book, uh, Coming Apart, which I recommend to, to everybody, especially in light of the, the Trump phenomenon. Um, and that, that says that, that in many ways we we're, we're splitting along along class lines, mm-hmm. so mostly education and also uh, where we live, uh, uh, rural versus versus urban. Um and and it's it's we're really getting to to two different views of of, of the world and and we're not talking to each other anymore. Um, uh, again, Charles Murray says it says it much better than I I can. Um, and he also has a lot of graphs and charts. Um, but I think there's something to that, especially when you look at the the Trump phenomenon. There is there is a a segment of the voting public who feels they've been not just left out of of um, the you know economic boom that that some have have received you know essentially it's sort of the there was a recovery for some of the, the country but not others mm-hmm. um, but there's also a sense that they're they're being left out of of polite society mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I think that that fuels sort of an anger and acrimony that you see in in the Trump uh, candidacy. I would agree with that. But I, I also, you know, I just have to go back to this. Listen, if you went to work every day and said, I don't care what what ideas my coworkers bring to the table, I don't like them, I'm not working with them, you'd get fired. And the reason you'd get fired is because because there would be a lack of movement. There would be a lack of innovation. There would be a lack of uh, just general uh, – you know, the whole playing well uh, with others. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I feel like the Senate has just decided, hey, we're going to we're going to show up. We're going to get paid. But um, we do not like this president. We're in control and we're this is just how we're going to how we're going to do it. And I really feel like it, it wouldn't matter if it was a Democratic Senate or a Republican Senate. I feel like that's a slap in the face to the American people. I feel like we are owed more these from our elected officials. I really do. Um, and so, you know, I hope that after this election, we we get things moving again. Yeah. Uh, you know, another another factor, and I, we alluded to this in the Sunday episode, uh, is the the um, the way districts are drawn. Mm-hmm. And I think I think some of this has come about partially based on on the demographic shifts we talked about a second ago, uh, is that there is there is a, a, a big self sorting that sort of is, is going on that, that didn't used to happen. Um that self-sorting plus a lot of technology that we have in terms of not we, me and Dominique, <laughs> we meaning the the uh, um, uh, political parties and the people who draw these lines have in, ter- in terms of, of polling and, and uh, demographic uh, data uh, makes it a lot easier to, to really carve these these districts out so that they are safe for one party or another. And, and there is there quite honestly, there's a sense um the parties, I don't want to say collude, um, but there's there's a little bit of that, and that uh, 
districts are drawn to be safe. And you say, okay, we're going to have so many of these safe Republican districts, so many safe uh, Democrat districts. Um, and the, the incentive then for people running in those, those districts is not to reach out to people in the middle or people across the aisle. It is to rev up their own base uh, and fend off essentially a primary challenge from someone in their own party. Right. So I think that drives particularly in the House. It doesn't really work in the Senate because those are, you know, lines that are, were were drawn ages ago. Right. The self-sorting, I think, part still sort of applies to the Senate a little bit. Um, but I think that drives sort of the the uh, partisanship, or, or we call it hype, you know, maybe hyperpartisanship that you see in the House. Uh, you know, uh, Republicans are concerned that that they're going to get a a Tea Party or a uh, you know populist uh, challenger in a primary. Uh, Democrats are concerned that they're going to get someone uh, coming at them on the left flank uh, from the Bernie Sanders camp, so that they they necessarily move move farther away from the middle. And and that's unfortunate. And and I don't know what to do about that in the short term, other than. Uh, you know, I can say Ohio has, has done uh, created a new bipartisan commission uh, last year that would uh, examine um, gerrymandered districts and would would ameliorate that in in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not going to ameliorate get rid of it entirely again because of that this demographic self sorting uh, that, that's going on. No, um, and I and I think that you know going back to the word erosion, I really think that what we're feeling and what we're on the brink of. And I think erosion is the wrong word, but I think right now, you know, you're having the middle class is being squeezed more and more, right? It's, it's becoming harder Mm -hmm. and harder to not live paycheck to paycheck. And, and our numbers, when you look at our economic numbers, they are not corresponding with the general way that people feel they're living. Um, Right. And so we've got that. We've got student debt. We've got all of these different issues. And so it kind of feels like there's this polarization between what the government believes is happening in the country and what's actually happening in the country. And I also think that both parties are potentially facing uh, a split within the party. You know, I know the Democrats were were very unhappy um, with well, there were a lot of Democrats who were very unhappy with the way that the Clinton campaign took on Bernie. Um, you know, the information that's come out. I, but, so but I was think, that was that more was that at, uh, philosophical differences or was that personal differences? Um, I think philosophical and well, I I think in terms of the way that Hillary won the nomination, that was more of a that felt more personal. But, right. you know, the candidate, not necessarily a policy position. But there are a lot of people out there who um, who I would say if it wasn't Trump in office would not be voting for Hillary because they do not feel like her policies truly reflect who they are as a Democrat. And so I think that there could be a split in in both parties. I I think that it's fairly eminent, um, you know. I I don't have a crystal ball. I have no idea what that would look like, but but I don't see that as erosion. I see that as development. I I don't see that as a bad thing. Um, I don't see that as as a flaw. So you yeah. know. Well, you know, and, and no, I think that's right. I don't I don't think my sense is we're not going to see splits 
in the parties, we will see intra-party fighting, uh, and and they will move, they will incorporate, they will develop and, and evolve just like they always have. Um, that's you know, that, I think that's probably where where we're heading. Um, but one one last point I, I want to um, bring up, and just the sort of, sort of state of American democracy is. You know, to the extent that that we say uh, it, it's not working, or as Trump has, has alleged, the system is rigged and so forth. Um, you know, we need to put some historical context uh, into that. Uh, and if if you consider that a hundred years ago, uh, women couldn't vote in many places. Uh, Fifty years ago, sixty years ago, uh, people of color uh, were were in many ways impeded from voting. Uh, through various various devices. Um, if you look at the the uh, type of and, and Dominique, you'll, you'll forgive me here. Where I'll say, listen, people celebrate, uh, you know, JFK's victory over Nixon. Uh, there is some fairly solid historical evidence that there were a lot of dead people voting in Illinois that helped him <laughs> carry that election. Um, so I mean, I th- if I think we you, know, you look at was was the the past always uh, perfect uh, and certainly not and you know was there a, a golden age in American democracy? Um, it, it's easy to say wow look if you look back in the the 1950s or 60s, uh, Congress worked together so much more um, and so forth. But you know again also consider uh, there were a lot of people who weren't able to vote then. So I mean is is right. that the healthy democracy? I, I don't know. Um, you know, lastly, the, the there's the participation point of how many people show up. Um, I don't I don't always uh, I, I should say I don't agree that uh, the number of people who show up to vote uh, is indicative of the health of democracy. Uh, for example, I mean, there were there were plenty of people who have turned out um, plenty of people turned out for Hitler in in, in the 30s. Uh, and you don't want to say that was a. a a good democracy. Uh, in many cases, uh, people who don't vote, that's sort of saying, well, they're okay with the, with the way things are going. Um, so, I, I, again, I'm questioning that metric. That goes to sort of more the economists, how they, they measure these things. Uh, no, so, see, I, I disagree with you there. I mean, I, I do think that people, we would have higher numbers of voters if people felt like it actually made a difference. And I I see it less as people just being okay with things and people feeling like it doesn't matter who they vote for, their vote doesn't count, nothing really changes. And I, I do think that that's a flaw. I do think that that's a problem, um, you know, from the yeah. top down. If, if people aren't believing that they are a part of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, if, if people feel like, you know, you want – you want your citizens to feel like they are a part of the government that's being run, that they, that they have a say, even if it's a a small say. And so I, I think low voter turnout is a, you know, it is a problem. Okay. Well, we'll differ on that, but I think, I think (laughs) we covered most everything that Julie asked, right? I mean, I do. um, I I could add, I could add some other stuff uh, too, but, but we'll, we'll fill that in in in, uh, in future episodes. Yes, Julia. If so. we did not answer your question, or if you have any follow ups, feel free to uh, email us. And 
That's it for the episode of for this episode of Ask the Politics Guys. Thanks for Again, listening. Again, remember, yeah, remember to uh, like us on uh, Facebook and and uh, keep the downloads coming. And if you could post a review on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be uh, fantastic. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll be back next week.